0: All the good stuff is over. It's already done. So let's start the podcast. Okay. <laughs>
1: all right.
0: It's, thanks, guys. Thanks for having me on. I'll talk to you later. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, so have a good one. All right. All right. So we had like this incredible conversation that no one got to hear, but now we're going to start again. We're going to try to recover. I'm with Mike Keller, and also we are joined with David, the 40-year-old vegan. He went through an amazing journey from working in the meat industry to becoming an animal rights activist. So welcome, David, the 40-year-old vegan. Welcome. Hey, guys. Thank you
1: so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. Um, So yeah, I I guess we ran into each other on a live stream. Uh, You two were were on a couch, and I, I guess we got talking and we sort of connected there, uh, and I just wanted to say first, before we started, like, I really appreciate what you guys are doing, uh, you know, there's ways to bring out a message and there's ways to, uh, you know, push an audience sort of a certain way. And, uh, I feel like you guys are doing a great job hitting, you know, a different niche. And I think it's important that we hit all these different niches. So, uh, I really appreciate everything you guys are doing and thanks so much for having me on
0: thank you well well david we actually have absolutely no idea what we're doing <laughs> <laughs> we're but but it, but it, but we keep doing it so you know
2: hey yeah could could we ask david to to describe his aha moment from being a meat person a meat what? uh industry person to what what clicked when it happened the moment you you saw the light
1: yeah so um i guess we could we could go back to where when i started i used to to kind of go that way um but i will say that i i believe that subconsciously i always knew there was something off about it um but i i felt compelled that i had to work in the industry and i'll get into that um so um pretty much all of my family members my grandparents my uncle my aunt my mother they all worked in the industry so uh, my grandparents they immigrated from portugal and uh, the job they were given was inside a slaughterhouse Uh, so many people that immigrate from countries abroad they are put into slaughterhouses uh, because no one wants to do that type of work so uh, it could be war-torn countries it could be all different sorts of situations where you know they're refugees or they have to come to a different country so Um, My grandparents, my grandfather especially, I I kind of grew up at my grandparents, they had a swimming pool, you know, they always gave me the treats and I I loved going there, and they always had pastries and stuff so, uh, you know, they took really good care of me and I always uh, sort of idolized my grandfather, he went, um, came from Portugal, didn't know how to speak English, Uh, you know, he befriended inspectors that worked in Agriculture Canada at that time. And then he went on to um, actually become an inspector. He actually got interviewed by the agriculture minister, uh, you know, saying that he would be a great worker. He promised to learn English and all of this. And he ended up actually getting a federal job. And at that time, uh, federal job was something highly sought after. So um, that's sort of initially how it started for me. I would see my grandfather with all of his coworker friends and they would come over and you know, I, I think it was, the writing was on the wall that I was going to follow footsteps. Uh, my, my uncle did, he actually still works as an inspector. And so that's sort of how I transitioned in. Um, so, um, I could go into like the, the rest of that, but I'll, I'll go to your question, Mike. And, uh, so the aha moment for me was, uh, it was actually my, my, uh, former ex partner. She, uh, uh she saw the struggle that i was facing and this was near the time that i was uh not going to be working anymore with the agency so the canadian food inspection Agency, the the head agency that monitors the food system here in canada um so she saw the struggle that i was having and you know sort of the ethical uh dilemma i was having and uh you know i talk i wouldn't tell her my entire stories or what i would see and what i would witness but um i would definitely um she she could see it in my face that that there was something wrong and you know that that i i wanted to change but i didn't know how i was um i i had never heard of the word vegan uh you know and then when i did there was all these stereotypes that flew up like you can't how can you be a vegan like how, how is that even possible and then you know like the the stereotypes to see that people were skinny or they're strange or they're radical. Like these, these things kept popping in my head. So um, at some point uh, we tried vegetarian and uh, then tried vegan. And uh, she actually went back to eating animals and uh, I kept going on. And I just, I, I thought I thought I was gonna die. I thought something was gonna happen. I was a junk food vegan for a little while and then, you know, all of a sudden, I'm realizing, like, I'm, wait a minute, like, I don't have asthma as much anymore. Wow. I'm starting to feel better, I can actually enjoy a meal and not feel like crap after it. So it, it sort of all started coming to, to fruition there. So uh, that that was sort of the aha moment about seven years ago. Yeah. So
2: your your ex partner really helped you clarify your feelings.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And Uh, showed me that it was possible um I I had preconceived notions yeah
0: was there also kind of a, a a conflict within yourself because your family worked within within this agency so in some ways you had to make a stand maybe against your family to 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 do something so drastic and sort of uh uh disavow you know what what they had been working with, what they've been working for, their careers, basically.
1: Yeah, that's uh, a great point. And so, like, I it, the struggle definitely was real that I could actually be a part of something that's so uh, horrible, right? Like, so horrifying that uh, somehow I played a role in it and that, like, I'm, I am I can't unsee what I had done and I didn't know at the time that, You know, I could be vegan or I I didn't have to participate in this, Um, even though it was a choice for sure. And I'm not I don't want anybody to feel uh, empathy for me or anything like that. I I chose to work there. Um, However, it was it was a yeah, like you said, it was um, it was very hard to uh, rationalize just myself and then let alone show my family members that I'm going against, you know, sort of the, the grain and so, um, like, none of them are vegan, uh, but I've had a number of conversations, like, for example, my mother, she um, she definitely is is uh, affected like I am. We have much of the same sort of dreams. And, uh, um, you know, not to say that alcoholism has played a role in her life, maybe that's culture with that, but um, I, I do feel that she has suffered probably her entire life because of what she had to participate in.
0: Also as an inspector, uh, what were your daily uh, jobs? I mean, what did you do as an inspector when you would go, go to these facilities?
1: It's a great question, Jason. Um, So uh, originally when I started, so I I was um, 20 years old and uh, I went in and it's, it's uh, so where I started was uh, Maple Lodge Farms uh, so they, they uh, kill 500,000 chickens a day. Um, so they, much like maple leaf, they're a predominant part of uh, uh, the Canadian food system, I guess you could call it. And so um, my job initially was just to, to start on the line. And it, it wasn't much different than like, maybe what you would see in uh, a grocery store or like a a butcher shop like you would see that portion of it but you wouldn't see the live hanging or the um, the uh, you know the animals in the trailers and the barns so um, that wasn't until like a little bit later so um, I knew that was coming like I, I, I felt that like it was going to be very hard to witness um, so and it was exactly that so Uh, so I started off on the line, they call it a a processing inspector or an online inspector. There's, there's the the position changed a number of times over the years. So um, then I would, uh, uh, sorry, then I moved into a different role, which was the animal transportation inspector. And that's where I saw, um, some really awful things. Sorry.
2: Yeah. David, I'm sorry. I don't mean to go back. Cause, but uh, you were talking about your family. I just wanted to know, do you, do you get flack from your family? Like is Thanksgiving awkward or is, or is everyone pretty understanding?
1: Well, I mean, like if it's, it's probably the same with anybody else. Like it's not um, worse for you because you I have, wouldn't like, say it's family. worse. Yeah. Like okay. I, I feel like my mom is very empathetic to it. I feel like, um, my aunt, uh, she's very, uh, okay with things um you know she she tries to you know eat as little animals as possible but I don't think she understands the connection um now my dad on the other hand he's uh um you know he's he's like the oh you own a dog so bacon you know but he he actually doesn't he's reduced his intake I think it's just um sometimes when you walk into a room as a vegan you spark a conversation even if you don't intend to right
2: yeah i I was listening to your um this link on youtube where you were talking to somebody from a, a company similar to like canada one of these fur um retailers and i was struck by how sort of empathetic and non-confrontational and diplomatic you were and I imagine that comes to some extent to because you still live with you know your your closest family are still like on the other side of this issue so it, do, do you think that like helps you communicate w- better yeah or, I would you know, say more effectively yeah
1: I, I would say so um I think my time as an inspector actually taught me how to communicate uh as well um so oftentimes it would be a very contentious situation and as a young guy i would yell back to the foreman's or the foreman's would yell at me and it would be like high energy and Mm. so after years of going through that i think you just sort of uh learn from it and then you kind of grow from it and uh start to learn what works and what doesn't so uh yeah i would say that that that's a correct uh like assertion for sure
0: So, when you went ahead and stepped away from this role as an inspector, was there a process of putting your life back together, or do you have an idea of what what else you were going to do, what the next step was?
1: Yeah, so, um, during the end of my career, um, I witnessed, um, so I had worked in the slaughterhouse House for a number of years there was a group of us that actually really complained about the way things were done uh the welfare aspect of it because i thought you know that's my role i need to to try to fight you're, that you're, when you say welfare um,
0: when you say welfare you're talking about like human welfare the way they treated the workers or the way no they treated the, the animals? way they
1: treated the animals so i, yeah. I had a um a welfareist approach you know so for example like they drop crates from you know 10 feet of chickens and then uh, they would slam onto a conveyor belt, whereas it, you know we pushed to have it for two people to put the the crates down more gently. Um, so so situations like that. Um, so there was a number of us who saw some of the things because of the high line speeds, and we we tried to you know fight on the legal side of things, like. The law, you know, we tried to use that, but as an inspector, I only went to court two times in 15 years and I probably uh, wrote up at least 100. Maybe to closer to 1000 different instances that were considered uh, possibly breaking the, the law so like actual like further animal abuse like I think it's all abuse now but further within the confines of the law and then i sorry i missed uh the second part of your yeah question. well
0: no it was about reconstructing your life or career or or following that that next step from being working in i don't know factory farming to to another another life
1: right uh yeah so jason um yeah so it was it's been it's still a transition to me to be honest um so when i when i went ahead and went vegan Um, there was a lot of unknowns for me. I didn't, I didn't realize there was a vegan community. Um, so I I eventually met people that were vegan. They were kind of not active, uh, little cat here. Um, so they weren't active. So I didn't realize that, you know, I didn't have the sense of urgency to be active. It was more of a, you do you. Um, so eventually I, um, I, you know, I, I figured out that. Through, through listening to other people like uh, Amy Serrano. I'm not sure if you've heard her. Uh, she really lit a fire under me to be active. Um, but I still am still piecing together sort of what's happened to me in the past and how I could have been a part of it. I do see a therapist. Um, I, you know, the, I, I constantly have flashbacks and stuff like that. Um, so it, it's something I've I've worked with. However, like I haven't fully dealt with, but I don't know that I ever could under the circumstances. So You're doing the work. Yes, I'm, I'm trying.
0: <laughs> well, I, I definitely commend you for, uh, you know, being strong and then also moving on and also doing activism work. Now, can you explain a little bit of what you do uh, as an activist and what you value when it comes to putting a message across?
1: Yeah, so I'll start with the valuing. Like, um, I've I've seen the change. I've actually, um, you know, s- been part of that final stage where someone goes like that. That we we call it the click, or you know, you you the switch. You finally see that you know we're all Earthlings, and these innocent beings are individuals, and that we need to or we should uh, stand up for each other and and whatnot. So. Uh, it, it definitely um it's it's very heartening to me to see like uh such a, a massive community like uh for example i woke up the other day and i'm watching this um discord and uh service uh it's animal uh, rights advocates and there's a hundred people on there and they're doing uh you know very light conversations speaking with people and uh you know it's it's a beautiful thing because they're, they're teaching people how to um, think about you know the the implications of their actions. And so it's it's very um, uh, incredible to see that and I, I definitely um, like when you talk about value, I value everybody in the community and that's why like maybe I, I could be a little bit bigger of a YouTuber maybe I could be a little bit bigger of this but to me it's it's building fostering that, you know, the roots of this movement, you know, building that foundation. And so what I do is, um, well, I do a number of campaigns. So I'm a co-organizer for anonymous for the voiceless. Uh, we've undercovered uh, some mink farms here in Ontario, Canada. Um, You know, there's, there's some things I can't really actually talk about. And then also, I'm I'm part of different events. So there's like the African lion safari here. So it's a zoo that has animals in ontario canada that should be in africa and then um there's the anti-vivisection so lab testing facilities uh i helped uh, with some campaigning there and then just like i've been to probably i don't know maybe a hundred vigils i'm not sure but uh and then my youtube channel my instagram so it's really all i do because i think but you know like and i'm told that maybe People hearing that a former slaughterhouse inspector, uh, you know, gone vegan, gone activist, you know, maybe uh, that would be a powerful message for people to hear. For so sure. um, that's what all I'm gonna do for probably until my last breath. So, wow.
0: So when you go to the visuals, do you ever get this kind of uh, feeling about when you were a um, inspector? Do you, does, does that come back to you when you see the facilities and these places and the the trucks?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So actually, I'm I came over to a friend's place to uh, I'm with a bunch of companion animals tonight, mm-hmm. and as I was driving on the highway, I saw a slaughterhouse truck, and there were pigs on the truck, and I definitely yeah like the emotions come over me um i get upset i you know i i can't stop thinking about it uh, it takes me a couple hours to to kind of stop thinking about it i've actually stopped going to vigils uh i'm not sure if it's cuz i went to so many or it's likely probably cuz of my past um and i thought maybe that would help me have some closure but it's it's a powerful thing um i think that it's it's beneficial for people that Um, maybe you want to light a fire under themselves to, to be more active, or maybe it's very good for somebody that hasn't been to one, but, um, like for example, one week, I, I think I I did 13 events, you know, so, um, you know, I, and that's, that's obviously what I I plan on doing, just maybe different, um, avenues as opposed to just vigils.
2: What have you had the most success with in, you know, changing people's hearts and minds? what works?
1: I really like this Socratic method, the Socratic approach. Um, So at a number of cubes, because I'm not very, um, I'm not very organized myself. So to have an organized structure, and to feed off of like, you know, this is what you say, this is how you do it. And this is um, where you go from there. It really helps me uh, to be able to um, stay within the confines of that. Um, it's a lot different for, uh, say, comments, and um, so for me, I, I'm I'm not very um, polite when it comes to uh, some of the comments that I see. So I, I'm in YouTube comments or I'm in TikTok comments, and I, I kind of mirror what what people are sending at me. So um, there was actually a YouTube video done. Um, of a comment that I made on a Joey Carbstrong uh video and uh it was an anti-vegan that actually uh because the the sorry the um the comment thread was so long they did a video on it and I wasn't like particularly too nice honestly I think every nook and cranny of activism works I, I it can be you can be a jerk you can be nice You can be um, showing (laughs) food, you can be doing art, you can be doing all these different things, music, like you could be doing all these different things and I think it's working. I can't say for sure, but I've gone to the grocery store and I've seen that grocery store go from like nothing to like this and over a short period of time. And so I think we are—we our message is getting out there. I think sometimes we get caught a little bit too much in our echo chamber. I think sometimes um, we overthink and we overanalyze and try to think of too many creative things instead of just maybe doing what we feel more comfortable with, carrying on too many projects. Like I I had burnout myself this year in January. It's the first time I had burnout. And uh, like I didn't stop, but I probably should have for a while. But how did um, you
2: how did you deal with it?
1: Well, I had some heart to hearts with some very close friends. And, um, you know, they said, you got to, you have to take some time for yourself. And also my therapist uh, recommended, like, you know, you, you got to do something else every once in a while. And so I guess maybe on a selfish plane, I, I wanted to continue to be relatable to people. So if like, for example, I found going to the vigils, I was getting angry. I was mad and I would be mad for days on end and that wasn't helping anybody and so the people that I talked to were saying you know be the best version of yourself because people would be attracted to that and so that's sort of um, something I've been taking on a little bit and working towards so I think that's probably the best approach uh, for anybody who's, who's dealing with burnout but there's obviously like some psych, uh, psychological things that you can do. Um, you know, like watching old movies, I heard, for example, helps out and, you know, meditating, grounding, all these types of things.
0: Just taking some time off. Yeah. You know, there's also potential for, for you to reach out to other, uh, workers that probably have the same PTSD issues or issues, uh, you know, seeing killing, uh, just the, the, just seeing the, um, how, how dispensable industry thinks of life. Because we were talking, I know, I know Mike and I were talking about how a lot of people are affected, the people that work in these factories and Sh- they don't know, and, and they don't know any other way. They don't know how to get out of that know that that the escape plan needs to be set and i think you're an example of an escape plan you got out
1: you're spot on there jason i mean if you think about it um a lot of people they don't know there's they don't know about veganism they don't they don't even know that you can you can actually do it and so for them to see you know maybe these radical people outside here and there um maybe they're just thinking oh like those are just crazy people that are trying to get some attention or something but if if there's somebody that actually worked on the inside and can relate to them I I I agree I, I thought of actually doing a um a documentary uh and trying to raise awareness of these like and it's human rights we're talking about too like these people are suffering they're injured they're working in high line speeds it's the most um like there's there's studies on it there's uh, Injuries—it's—it's—it's it's, um, it's all around, just horrifying for for any individual to work in. So, yeah, I, I completely agree with that.
0: Your story is sort of almost an epic story, and I think uh, Mike, you were talking about like there there was some yeah, connection to just, Star Wars. Uh, y- this narrative <laughs> is in a lot of you know uh, heroic stories where
2: there was like a like for example in the Force Awakens, there's the stormtrooper who has, you know, he's part of the empire and he has this moment of consciousness and he, he turns. And uh, that's kind of, I think a lot of stories have this, you know, or, or even Moses, right? He was part of the Egyptians and then he's like, no, this is wrong. Uh, let my people go. It's a very compelling human narrative. And you also,
0: have, I mean, I, I'm I'm thinking more like The Godfather. Uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, we're we're getting so nerdy right now, yeah. but but I yeah no, I I would love to yeah. We should definitely talk more about this because it, I think I think you have probably so many stories. The only thing is, is sometimes does it hurt to share those stories, other than keeping them inside?
1: Yeah, actually and that's one thing I've learned uh in therapy to be honest. Uh so I was told that it's it's a good thing to share, so there's there's certain boundaries and limitations of where you want to get. So uh getting too graphic maybe would present me with flashbacks and uh would bother me um and then or if if I'm not too like I, I do kind of have enough. to yeah, exactly. Because I do want to um, affect uh, change, right? So I want to impact as much as possible. So after a podcast or after an event, I'm wired. I feel great. Like after tonight, speaking with you guys mm-hmm. and and thinking, okay, I did a fairly good job on the podcast, or I did great a fairly job. good job here. So I, to me, and if it if it affects just one person, you know, that could affect hundreds and thousands of lives of innocent sentient beings so to me like it's so worth it and um the other part of that i can deal with like i have i have the structure there now that i can work to deal with so uh yeah it can be hard but it's nothing compared to what they go through so david uh,
2: you know all three of us i think i have people we're we're close to who you know they seem like ethical people they're good people, their hearts are in the right place, and you give them like the, you know, the argument for veganism and, and they have no counter argument. Like on, in theory, they agree with you and they, they see earthlings and they, they're like, that is horrific. And they don't tell you you're wrong, but then they don't change anything. Like how, how do you deal with the disappointment?
1: Yeah, that's, it's, that's a great question. And that's, I think that's the confounding question we all deal with, because we all have family, we have loved ones, we want the best for them to see them uh, even join us uh, in this struggle, because we know how smart they are, or how, what they could bring to the table. And uh, moreover, it is loving them. So it's, it's a great question. It's a great struggle. How do we deal with it? It's, it's, to anyone's guess i mean so what for example at a cube of truth um we had a, a friend uh she was she has had a boyfriend or they're still together um he uh he was struggling with the the idea of doing it. like he agreed with everything he he was uh, you know mostly but then uh we decided to say hey listen like Maybe you, like it's no offense to your approach, because maybe they already have preconceived ideas about you. So I've heard this before where um, you possibly shouldn't do outreach with a family member, but maybe have somebody else, an unknown do it because they already have that history with you. There could be something you said 20 years ago that ticked them off, you know, something like that. So having somebody else do the outreach. And so this this gentleman came into the cube. I talked to him and that night he was vegan. And a year later, he wrote a letter this long in our cube. And it was just so empowering to everybody. Like we are making a difference. So I think maybe that's the best approach.
2: Wow yeah i mean it's it's humbling to say like okay i guess i i you know for whatever reason I, I don't have it in me i need to i need to like delegate this to someone else but i guess you you're probably right
1: yeah i think so and i don't think it's a slight on you or no a slight I, it's on, like the history on myself. of yeah I understand. I understand yeah it's the it's the family uh history Dynamic, right yeah i think what's important too is like what's the most important, uh, way we can spend our time. You know, are we going to go after people that are, you know, eating these products, or are we going to go after the people producing, uh, you know, factory farms or whatever. Um, and I, I just had uh, one other little story to tell is actually at our last cube of truth, a couple of weekends ago, um, there was an inspector that I worked with. He actually walked by. Wow. And, uh, so we got into a conversation, um, you know, he, he had health issues. I had health issues when I worked there. Maybe that's another story for another time. But, uh, you know, he, he took the card. He's going to look into it. I'm going to reach out to him and see if, uh, you know, he'd be willing for, because um, we recorded it as well. See, I'm going to cut down the video and see if he's willing to possibly share it. I don't know, or if, if we're able to share it. And then too, like just the fact that I actually had a conversation with somebody else working in the agency that where I worked with for so many years, uh, it's pretty, pretty cool.
0: Can you explain a little bit of of this cube of truth?
1: Yeah, so a cube of truth. um, So in, uh, I think it was 2014, 15, um, Paul Bashir and Azelle. I can't pronounce her last name, I may have botched her first name, I hope they're not hearing this. Um, But they created uh, what's called a Cube of Truth. So it's essentially like almost a stage theater where you're drawing people in just because of uh, the aesthetics of the event. So um, people are wearing uh, the Guy Fawkes masks. I don't know if you've seen those, they're the white masks. And then also they're holding a a TV or a laptop and uh, showcasing the animal agriculture industry. And so it's standard practice it's showing exactly what happens all across the world. And, um, you know, that there's music playing, so it's meant to draw people in. If people are watching it for, you know, up to about 15 seconds, then we go and we speak to them and we ask them, you know, the questions that, uh, are sort of given as a, um, a guidance tool from anonymous for the voiceless. So there, uh, I think it's over 600 chapters across the world and, uh, it's uh, really helped a lot of new would-be activists uh, get active. You know, it's, uh, it, it's helping people get the tools to, in order to do outreach uh, in an effective manner.
0: So, David, for the future, what are your plans? And also, how can our audience follow you and uh, be further inspired by your story?
1: We recently launched a Starbucks campaign. I, I don't know how I thought of it. I just thought look, this place is so close to going vegan. Uh, They have a number of uh, different milk, uh, plant-based milk options. Um, You know, they have some alternatives that would hit that market and the people I've talked to in the stores and um, just the overall public, I feel like would be on side if this place went. So uh, we've decided to create this campaign. So we want Kevin Johnson, the CEO of Starbucks, to put pen to paper when Starbucks is going to go fully plant-based and animal products free.
2: Mm-hmm. And at the very least, m- price the plant milks at parity with the cow milk, since in reality, it doesn't cost more. And they're just uh, disc- you know price discriminating.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, and so I think with, with these subtle things that, um, you know, we see with like the price disparity, um, the fact that we have different alternative uh, milks, the fact that they're talking about being net zero uh, with dairy milk uh, in 2030, it, it's kind of ridiculous. So the, the goal of the campaign is actually twofold as well as to uh, help uh, new would-be activists, um, you know, bring a letter, bring a letter to uh, the store, um, and, and hand it in. And then that would possibly go to Kevin Johnson, the CEO. And, uh, it's a simple form of activism. It's, um, just one easy, easy way to do that. And so, and it's not, there's no hierarchy. It's, um, something simple that people can actually, uh, do on their own. They can, they can do a demo, they can make it however they want.
2: And the handwritten letters to make it more personal and also so that it's not like just a million people copy pasting the same text. Yeah, that's yeah, I I like that that. was
1: the idea and two, like if, if a letter has to be mailed to Seattle um that would be hilarious you know to me uh then you know they're they're putting the time the money and and having to have a meeting or discuss these things i think that's very important uh you mentioned mike that i spoke to an employee at Rootsack. and so um we had a good conversation about uh the fur uh that they were selling and so um i think it's important that we 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 engage and have these conversations with employees, with middle management. You know, possibly they're they're gonna have conversations about this. The uh, campaign is actually on uh Facebook. So if you want to join it, go like the page. The instructions are there. Come join us, uh, be a part of history. And, and what is uh, what is it
0: called on Facebook?
1: Yeah, it's actually uh Starbucks pressure campaign. So um we have a bunch of upcoming events. Um, so one is uh, we're going back to uh, one of the farms that we uh, exposed. Uh, they have 60,000 mink on the farm and they're in these tiny confined cages. So we're going to go uh, do an event there. There's an animal rights march. There's a fur march. There's a bunch of people coming down from uh, our neighboring province. We're going to do a big cube. We have a unity cube. So all these things things. There's so many things that are going on. And uh, so, yeah, I'm, I'm hoping to upload a few more videos to my YouTube when I have a chance. Uh, so I'm on there. I'm on Instagram. Uh, I'm also David Magina on Facebook. Uh, so I, I post there as well. So uh, if you want to get in touch with me, uh, usually uh, uh, IG, Instagram is the best way.
0: We'll put your links on our episode. So anyway, oh. th- so that was great. So thank thank you for joining us. Thank you.
1: Thanks for having me guys.